In this episode, I talk with Aaron Freudenthal about his work as a public defense attorney in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His work centered on working with families and children. Welcome to episode 8 of 5 Questions, the show where we interview activists and advocates about the work they do and why they do it. What can you tell me about who you are and a little bit about your backstory? Yeah, so uh, my name is Aaron Freudenthal. I am a uh, former public defender, and I've had a few other sort of what you might call civil rights jobs throughout my time. Um, I was a Title IX investigator for WSU very briefly, and I'm generally an Idaho native that moved out of the area and came back. And yeah, I don't think that's kind of a very quick summary of what I'm into. Um, So there you go. And in your public defense work, what did you do? So in Pittsburgh, I had did a very niche area of public defense that most people don't think about. It's there's um, in every state you hear about social workers and children being taken from their parents. That's called child protective. Usually it's child protective act or child dependency somewhere along that title line. Uh, that was all I did as a public defender in Pennsylvania. So different states do it differently. Some public defenders do everything. They do those child protective cases. They do what you traditionally think of as criminal law, where you're dealing with misdemeanors and felonies. And then some states divide it out, like mine did, where you have public defenders who do the criminal, misdemeanor, and felonies. And then you have public defenders like me who did the child protective acts stuff specifically. Um, it's a it's an interesting world. It's actually civil, as opposed to being under criminal statutes. So it's a very different world for a public defender to be in. Could you elaborate on that difference between the civil and criminal? Yeah, so the Constitution of America, there's there's sort of constitutional protections built into the system. And for the most part, a lot of them deal with the criminal world. Um, you know, you'll see TV shows where they talk about how you have, when you get arrested, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. That, everyone knows it as the Miranda warning, but that's really a combination of different constitutional protections that every citizen has. Those are enforced very strongly in the criminal world. Your Fourth Amendment, your protection from search and seizure, all that's criminal. That's all bent to protect citizens from the government, government overreach specifically. The civil world where child protective inhabits is very different. Um, you, some of those protections become loosened up, um, either by law, they don't apply. For instance, one of the things that Pennsylvania had different is in criminal courts, you have the right to face your accuser, which means if somebody's saying you did something to me, they have to usually testify in open, open court against you. That same protection didn't cover in the civil world. The sources of information could be anonymous. So you'd have a caseworker coming in and saying, well, we have an anonymous report that mom or dad did something. Um, You also have rules in criminal court about who can testify. Usually it's someone who has to have firsthand knowledge. Um, We call that hearsay evidence uh, or hearsay rules in, in criminal court, where just because I tell you something doesn't mean you can then go and testify about it. You have to have that firsthand knowledge. 
Um, those rules are relaxed in civil courts in Pennsylvania. So the, the courts there are allowed to take in a lot more evidence when they're trying to figure out these issues of child protective custody and where the kids are going to go and all this. And it, it creates a very difficult scenario when you're trying to deal with this sort of public defense work. And it, it becomes important because when people think and hear that I say I did child protective cases and that I represented parents facing these charges, they always ask me, how can you represent someone who was a child abuser? And that's not the reality of these cases. 95 or more percent of my cases were probably either based on poverty or drug addiction. And so when you lose these fundamental protections, you're dealing with, you're, you're working in a world where you don't have as strong constitutional protections as a criminal, but the end result of child protective actions is you can lose custody of your children forever. I mean, we're talking adoption. These are the cases where these kids go up for adoption. So it's, it's a very different world. Um, and actually, I guess I should probably back up a bit and kind of talk about what, what child protective means in that way and when, what really what it is. Child, like that's, that's the big thing is backing up a little bit. Child protective, the, the end result is there's, um, you know, it's where the it's, social workers become involved, social services become involved. And if it becomes bad enough, they will pull you into courtrooms and say, you know, at that point, judges become involved, prosecutors, or in Pennsylvania, um, what we call county solicitors, who are the civil side of prosecution, become involved. And the legal system will either place your children under supervision in your own household, or they will remove the children, put them in foster care or group homes, depending on the age of the children and what placements are available. And at that point, there's federal statutes that say you've got about 15 months um, to get yourself straightened out or to get to convince the judge that you've straightened yourself out to get your children back. You're facing uh, adoption of your children, uh, what we call termination or parental rights. If I switch up and say TPR uh, later in the interview, that's what I'm talking about is termination of parental rights or adoption. Thank you for sharing that. Now, why did you choose to do this kind of work? You see some pretty tough stuff, I imagine, in this in this line. And so I'm just wondering, why did you choose to get into this work and continue doing it? And that's the funny thing is I didn't choose this. I mean, yes, I chose it in the sense of I went to a job interview. They liked me and they hired me. But if you had asked me going into law school what I wanted to do, that would never have been my answer. Public defense itself was something that I had a, sl a slight interest in. But my original plan was actually to do employment law because there's a lot. And what this is what kind of got me to law school and made me choose employment law is there's a lot of unfairness in the system. And I think for a lot of folks who get involved in sort of these civil rights areas or into the law where they see inequity, it's it's this fundamental sense of fence, a fundamental sense of fairness that a lot of the lawyers in this area have. That's what drew me to employment law. The reality is, in modern America, employment law is a difficult field to either break into or really to succeed and do anything in because, um, and this is my opinion, but I think it's fairly accurate, is that uh, employment law is pretty well uh, biased toward the employer in modern America. Additionally, unions are gone. So there's not much union law. So I graduated law school at probably the worst time for lawyers. I graduated. 2013, when every article you read about lawyers said, you're not going to find a job, enjoy paying off your massive amounts of debt. Um, so at that point, I, 
I was struggling. I was with the rest of my classmates and there weren't a lot of opportunities, but I still had that fundamental sense of fairness. And I still didn't like how the world seemed biased against folks who had no resources, had no income, who had faced tough scenarios in life. The same things that drew me to employment law. And I saw this job opening for a child protective attorney. And I went to the interview and they basically described it as incredibly people heavy. I mean, one thing that most people don't know about law school and lawyers in general is they always think of the courtroom scenes and lawyers being verbal arguers and always in the courtroom arguing. And that's, that's not true. Most of law is actually paperwork. And I advise a lot of young folks that if you think law, you better like paperwork. But this area in particular is one area where you can go and you can escape a little bit of the paperwork. You can do a lot more courtroom time. I saw more courtroom time in two years than most private attorneys see in five or 10. And it's people focused. I was talking to people probably six to seven hours out of an eight hour day. Uh, and then at the end of the day, there's also like, this is a system where these are the parents who are least equipped and the adults who are least equipped to defend themselves in a court of law. These are the folks who can get railroaded into situations that they should never be in and where they really need someone to look out for them and help them navigate the system. So that's once I went to this interview, I thought to myself, I'd never thought I'd be in this area of law. I did have some interest in public defense, but not this area for sure. I mean, I had the same sort of misconceptions about this area when I started, when I saw the job opening as a lot of folks, you know, why would I want to represent parents who are child abusers? But that's not the reality. Most of them aren't. Most of them, it's poverty and drugs. Um, and those are just people who need help people who need resources and the job of a child protective attorney is to make sure that they get the resources they need to get themselves in a better situation. So when you, when you add all that together, it's what a wonderful job. I mean, I often tell people to be cautious of law school nowadays because there's so many misconceptions about what lawyers do, but this is one area where I will always recommend somebody to go to if they have a sense of fairness and they have a commitment to helping folks. And most of all, if they really want to work with people on a practical day-to-day -day basis. And what were some of the issues or difficulties you found yourself encountering when you were doing this public defense work? I think the difficulties we, I encountered are probably the difficulties any public defense attorney nationwide finds. You know, the caseload I carried was probably heavier than most attorneys should ever carry. The, the national recommendation is for... 80 child protective cases assigned to an attorney a year. I was handling anywhere between, on average, 142 at a high point, 240 open cases. That was open at one time, whereas national recommendations are 80 cases per year total. So, you know, obviously I was well ahead of that. Um, the other one is that there's a lack of resources. Um, you, you know, they'll talk about public defender attorneys being low paid. But it's that's a personal issue for the attorneys. And yes, it creates difficulties. You have a hard time retaining attorneys. You have a hard time attracting experienced attorneys. But it goes so much more beyond that. It goes into, you know, we had difficulty retaining experts when we needed to. We had difficulty getting enough investigators to help us investigate the facts. Because I was in the courtroom two to three days a week. The other two days, I'd be talking to clients. 
or just trying to get my paperwork organized. Um, we relied on our staff to go out and sometimes assess things or talk to clients and you don't have the funding for that. Um, where the state, the state has a set of mechanisms. They can send things out for DNA testing. They can do urine screens on your client. They have social workers who, the social workers were paid more than I was as an attorney, you know, and there are more of them, quite frankly, than we have, uh, attorneys and staff. So they had a lot more power to investigate. Um, certain cases, the police would become involved. So then you have all the police resources facing against you. So those are your, probably your biggest obstacles is just an imbalance of resources. And then the, the caseloads, it makes it very difficult. I mean, and then from there for interpersonal, you know, you're dealing with clients who are un, don't, they don't trust the system. And sometimes that means they don't trust their public defender because they can see us as part of the system. But that's building rapport. If you can build a rapport with your client, you can get past that. And once they see how effectively we argued and how effectively we fought for them, that goes away. Because one thing I can tell you about most of the folks who stay in this field is they are committed and they will argue and fight tooth and nail um, for their clients. So you get past that, but you're still dealing with folks who are dealing with their own mental health issues, who are fighting addiction, who are fighting poverty. I mean, and then you have the court system stepping in and saying, well, you've got to make urine screens. You've got to go to counseling. You've got to go to drug therapy. And then on top of all that, to make sure that you can take care of your kid, you've got to go and get a job. And these are, these are not folks who have a job where they can take sick time or leave or flex hours to go do these drug screens and counseling and mental health and everything else they have to do. So it becomes this cycle where they become trapped in this situation where it's either do the treatment objectives the judge orders or do the financial objective the judge orders to get their kid back. And they can't often do both. And you get this cycle of repeated entry into the system where even if the family gets out and gets reunited and the case closes, they might be back in the span of six months or a year because it's just this cycle. Yeah, I can definitely, I can see how that causes a lot of problems for a lot of families out there that are living, you know, below the poverty line or um, dealing with a lot of drug addiction issues. So uh, thank you for shedding some of that light on that. And thank you for being on this episode of five questions. That is all the questions and we are at the time for this episode. So just want to say, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with me. Uh, did you have any closing thoughts you wanted to give? No, I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, moving into an election year and, and with all the politics going on in America, it's, it's easy to forget that we are a civil society that does have to look after folks who don't have the breaks that some of us do in life. And I think it's important to remember that whoever you go to vote for and whoever uh, you support, it's important to remember that we're all in this together and that if we abandon that, you're going to see more cases for public defenders and you're going to see more stuff in the criminal system. So there's, there are other ways to handle this than going to the criminal systems. Great. Well, thank you for everything again. Uh, that's it for today's episode. You can find me on Twitter at Mikey Bivs and tweet about the show using hashtag five questions. If you have a particular cause or activist that you would like to hear from, let me know. Thank you. Thank you.